How's everybody doing? It is great to see you. I've missed all of you, uh, but it's great to be back. I want to tell you a, a story about my first leadership experience. My first leadership experience was when I was in the 10th grade. Uh, a friend and I had been hired by this landscaping company. Uh, actually, I had started this car wash business. Now, the car wash business uh, only lasted one day, and I only washed one car. Um, but the one car happened to be the car of this guy that owned the landscaping company. And so he saw my friend and I and thought that we were kind of entrepreneurial in nature. And so he hired us to be part of his, uh, his landscaping company over the summer. And so we were starting the next morning. And um, so I was excited about it. I was on, it was my, friend, uh, my friend Keith and I were going to be starting. And I was on the, the phone that evening with a friend of mine whose name is Drew. And Drew was telling me that he really needed a job. And uh, so I mentioned to him, so I said, are you willing to work hard? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, so um, will you, are you someone who's willing to go above and beyond the call of duty to get the job done? And, uh, you know, go do more than what's expected of you. He said, well, yes. I said, well, then, sounds, I'll, I'll, you're hired. Just show up tomorrow morning. And he says, hold on. You just got hired by this company. You haven't even worked a day yet. Can you do that? And I'm like, do you want the job or not? And he said, well, yeah. And I'm like, well, then meet me at, in front of the 7-Eleven in, in, near my house um, at, uh, at 7 a.m. And so, sure enough, uh, we get there. Uh, it's 7 a.m., the three of us, my friend, uh, myself, my friend Keith, my friend Drew, we're waiting there. At 7 a.m., this guy who's very, got a really clean car that I just washed, uh, he shows up to, with all of, his, uh, all of his gear, his landscaping gear, and he looks and he goes, didn't I hire two of you? And I said, yeah, don't worry about it. I hired this guy. I'm vouching for him. He's going to be all right. So the guy just says, okay, sounds good to me. So he hops in. Now, here's the weird part is that I thought I had like, you know, I was doing something. But what he did was he took what he was going to pay my friend Keith and I, and he just divided it by three. So the joke was really on me that I was only getting like two-thirds of what I should have been paid because I hired my friend Drew. Um, but that's not uh, necessarily – that's the thing. So I said, you know, hey, whatever, you know, you come with me. So he says, okay. That's the first person I ever hired. The first person I ever fired was, uh, I was about, this was about two years later. I was about 18. I was working at this hoagie shop. And if you don't know what a hoagie is, it's what people in uh, the Northeast call uh, a sub. So if you're familiar with, like, what a sub is, a hoagie is about the same thing. And so I'm working at this hoagie shop, and I was the assistant manager of the hoagie shop. And you're like, wow, that sounds really exciting. I was in high school at the time, so you can just tell, you know, and I was, like, very irresponsible. So the fact that I was in management tells you a little bit something about the operation of this, uh, about this, this company. So, anyway, uh, I was there, and there was a guy that um, was a friend of mine, and he, um, he didn't show up t- to work. And he, he actually lived across the street from me. And we had been friends all through high school. And he didn't show up for work. And so uh, I was the assistant manager. And so the boss said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, if he didn't show up to work, I'm going to have to fire him. So I called my friend up. This guy, I, mean, I was great friends with him. Um, and I said, uh, hey, this is uh, Bob, uh, and I'm going to have to terminate you today from your, the job because you didn't show up for work. And, uh, and he goes, uh, all right, man, cool. Don't worry about it. I'm like, all right, man, I'll see you later. All right, let's hang out. All right, goodbye. So we hang up. And um, anyway, the next morning I get up, and then I realize, like, you know, I get a ride from him every day to work because I don't have a car. So I called him up, and I'm like, hey, what's up? It's Bob. He's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, listen, I've, I've just rethought. You're hired. You know, I've rehired you. And he's like, I'm, and he's like oh, cool. I'm like, hey, can you come pick me up for work? Like, yeah, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So anyway, that's the whole, the whole thing. And, and, you know, this is the deal, is that I learned 
at an early age the power of leadership. But what it took me a little bit longer to learn was the purpose of leadership. You see, uh, sometimes we think that leadership is about people, getting people to do stuff for us. That's not what leadership is. In fact, leadership is just the opposite. Leadership is about leveraging the influence that you have for the sake of other people. It's about giving those who don't have a voice a voice through the leadership and the influence that you have. Now, here's what you might be thinking. Now, I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader, and so why in the world am I hearing a talk about leadership? I could be laying in bed asleep um, instead, of, instead of this because this message is totally not for me. Now, before you go to sleep or, you know, say I still have time to catch brunch or something, um, let me just tell you something that I, I believe that this message is really for all of us because every single one of us is a leader. Every single one of us has influence in some area of life. Sure, you may not have the title of leader, but there are people that you are leading. If you're a parent, then you're leading kids. If you're a husband, then you've got a family that you're leading. If you are a friend, and I'm hoping you have at least one, that there are friends that you are leading. And the way that you're doing it is through the power of influence. Because leadership at its very core, leadership is influence. And so all of us have, given, have been given a measure of influence. And here's the thing that God desires for us to do. The thing that God desires for us is that we use this influence for His purpose. That we use the influence that we have not for what our culture does with influence and authority, and that is getting people to serve us, but instead that we would use our leadership, that we use our influence for the purposes of service in, for other people. In fact, in the notes that we gave you, and I hope you have those handy, I hope you have your pen handy and your Bible, this is what we learn about leadership according to the book of Proverbs. It says, leadership gains authority and respect when the voiceless poor are treated fairly. When those who don't have a voice are given a voice, that's when leadership gains authority and gains respect. Now, why do I share all of this with you by way of introduction? It's because at this point in the story that we've been looking at in the book of Esther, what we've been looking at is Esther has this title of queen now. She's gone through the beauty contest, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like... Uh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it was like, you know, the Bachelor, Old Testament edition, you know, Rock of Love with a Hasherus. You know, that's kind of what was happening. Um, and so, but she finally wins. She gets the title. But now, but she's used the title for herself. It's really been about her to have this title, position, wealth, ease, all of that. But now here's what happens. Her people are in jeopardy and she has a dilemma. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor John taught a great message about, and this is what it was, it was about how Haman, the villain of our story, had essentially tricked Ahasuerus, the king, into signing a decree into law that made murder legal. That there would be a particular day when the Jewish people, it would be legal to actually kill them and then plunder all of their goods and take all of their goods. Somehow he had, and we'll talk about that more later, he had been duped into thinking that that was a good idea. And then what happens is this. But now... The, the problem that Esther has is what is she going to do? She has power, she has influence, she has a title, she has authority. But what, the question is, what will she do with that? Will she say nothing and keep the power, influence, authority, and title that she has? Or will she take the influence that she has and leverage that for the purpose of good? It's a dilemma that you and I have. Do we use the influence that we have to lead people into a relationship with God, to lead people and help people to do the right thing? Or... 
Do we simply take the, the, and leverage the influence that we have to just kind of make our lives a little bit easier? That's where we begin in Esther chapter 4 and verse 1. So if you would, take your Bibles, turn them there. We're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. It says, And when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And he went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. And then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. And then Esther called Hathka, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. And then Hathka went out to Mordecai in the city square and was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened, the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. And so Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to show you in, our, in the time that we have together. Three things about what it means to be a leader, whether you think you're a leader or not. You're a leader if you do one or all of these three things. And here's, here's number one, is that you're a leader, number one, when you set an example. You're a leader when you set an example. And all of us are setting an example, by the way. The question is, are we setting a good one or a bad one? You see, there's something that happens when you realize that you're a leader. You know, I, I, I've realized this in my, in my role and responsibility as a leader. I have this constant flow of crazy situations that God allows me uh, to get into. And, and a lot of it is because I speak. I speak so much to you. I speak to other groups. And what happens is this, is that God in his infinite love allows these crazy things to happen to me. So that I have this well of illustrations to share with you so that you guys might get a good laugh out of it. And then I can, you know, bring home a point that from the scriptures that, you know, God's trying to share with us. Um, and usually, and this is the thing, the part that's so amazing to me. Usually it's right around the time that I'm supposed to teach on a particular subject that this kind of crazy stuff begins to happen. Some of you remember um, a couple of months ago I did this message when we were teaching through Proverbs on ants. You guys remember that? I taught on the whole thing about ants and the ants. You know, there, there, there's things that we can learn from ants. And isn't it amazing that my house got infested with ants like about a week before I was supposed to teach this message? You know what's amazing to me is that right after I taught that message, they all left. It's like, you know, all right, guys, mission accomplished. Let's go to the other preacher's house. Let's move it out. You know, and I'm thinking, like, it's amazing. You know, that's why I'm telling you, that's what, when I taught that message, I said I'm going to do a message on what to do when you inherit a million dollars to see if this is going to hold true. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's a weird thing. And, and sometimes, you know, there's like all this, all this crazy stuff that happens. Like the other day, I'm laying on our bed, right? This is about three weeks ago. 
I'm laying on our bed, and my son, who's six months old now, um, I was just like, I had him, I was holding him up. So imagine I'm laying on bed, I'm holding him up, kind of doing like an airplane thing, up, back and up and down. And he is just like laughing hysterically while I do this. He's laughing, it's making me laugh. And then he gets like this funny look on his face, and, and it's like he's laughing, and he just pukes. Now, that's not the weird part. The weird part is, is that I was laughing, and it went right in my mouth. And I thought, after, after, like, I almost had a heart attack, uh, I thought to myself, now, Lord, I'm not teaching a vomit message anytime soon. Like, why is this? But, you know, here's what I know. What I know is, is that at some point in time, I'm going to need, like, you know, I wish that I'm, I'm, I'm be teaching this message. It's going to be like, you know, it would be a perfect illustration if someone but vomited in my mouth. Oh, yeah, that's right. My son did that recently. And, 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 and it's going to happen. And, and, you know, that's why I used to feel bad. I used to feel bad for the guys in the Old Testament. I'm telling you, if you read, like, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, God has them do, like, the craziest stuff. Right? And, and if you ever get a chance, like, just read the stuff. Like, here's what I want you to do. Run naked through the city. Like, what? You know? And then I want you to lay on one side for 90 days. And, you know, or whatever. it's like all this crazy stuff. I mean, I used to feel so bad for them. And then I realized I don't feel bad for them anymore. I'm living their life. You know, like, I have all this wild stuff that happens to me. And here's why I tell you all of that. It's because all of it is about setting an example for other people. That's why I said it's not a matter of you're a leader if you set an example, but we're all setting an example. The question is, is it a good example or a poor one? You see, what leaders do is they set an example for other people to follow. The passage there in your outline in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, it's also the memory verse for this week. And this is what Paul says. It's a simple verse, but it's a powerful one. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's exactly what Mordecai is doing. Understand, Mordecai does not have position, does not have, um, you know, the title, but he's got all of the influence because he's got the influence with the queen who has the title and the position and now is able to make some things happen. You see, this is the thing that's amazing to me. He sets an example and he gives us a picture with what? Just with his clothing, just with what he decides to wear. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. Then you say, well, what exactly is is sackcloth and ashes. Is that like the Abercrombie and Fitch of, of, of the, the ancient world? No, it's actually not. The, the, the sackcloth and ashes is a Jewish way of expressing outwardly what's happening in your life inwardly. Sackcloth is, is this, is that there would be a, um, it, you know, in the ancient world, just like we, you know, wear like leather or something like that to, to, to make ourselves warm. Well, they would take the, the skins of, of an animal and they would make them into into clothing. And so what you would do is, is that you would take, uh, what they would do is they would take um, the, the, the hair of, like, uh, let's say it was a goat or it was a ram or it was a bull, and that, that was like the very, very coarse hair that they would have. Um, and so what you would do is you would wear that on the outside. But when you wanted to make it sackcloth, you would turn it inside out, and then you would put it on so that that coarse hair was now poking your skin. And then every time you moved and you walked and you spoke, it would now begin to rub your skin and cause you to get a rash, cause you to get irritated. Every time you're like, ah, this hurts just to wear it. And why were you doing that? You were doing that to show God that you were repenting, that you were changing, that God, uh, this is hurting me because God inside I'm hurting over what it is that I've done that has somehow hurt you. In fact, in, in your notes, I gave you this passage out of the book of Jonah. 
uh, where it says this, and I won't go into the whole story of Jonah. You can read it. It's four chapters long, I promise. You can probably read it in, like, you know, two commercial breaks. It's, it's a really short book. Um, but here's what it says. It says, On the first day Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. By the way, that was the whole sermon. It was that one sentence. The Ninev- and then this is the response. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and put on sackcloth, a picture of repentance. And then when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. He proclaimed, or, and he issued a proclamation to Nineveh. By the degree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything, and do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may relent with his compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You see, sackcloth was a picture, supposed to be a sign of repentance. Now, ashes was a little bit different. Ashes was you'd put on the sackcloth, but then you would just go to the ground and you would just take handfuls of dirt and put them in your head, put them in your hair, put it on your face, put it on your body. Now, why is that? Because in Psalm 103, the Bible says this, that God remembers that we are but dust. You see, the problem is God remembers that we're but dust, but sometimes we forget that. And we think that that we're more than we actually are. And we get filled with pride. We get filled with arrogance and conceit. And then here's what God, when we have to be humbled, here's what God does. When we repent, when we have this outward picture of repentance, and we, then we put the ashes, the dirt, the dust on our head, we remember. And we're saying to God, God, I remember that I'm just the dust of the earth. That you are God and that I am not. And that I need to be humbled. And God, I'm, this is a picture of me humbling myself before you. And so Mordecai, without any position, without any authority, he gives us this picture and he's going to influence the entire kingdom of Persia simply through his example of putting on sackcloth and ashes. And the same thing is true for you and for me. You see, all of us have the ability to influence people with our actions and lead them. So the question is not, well, do I have leadership? No, the question is, where am I leading people? Because all of us have been given a level of leadership. Listen, parents, if I could just talk to you for a second. Here's the thing that's so important for us to know, is that your example is what's shaping your kids, not your words. The example that we have is what's shaping our kids, not our words. Husbands, in particular, your example is shaping your wife and your family, not simply the rules or guidelines that we set up. Listen, if you have friends, like I said, I hope you have at least one. Um, their influence, listen, their influence is influencing who you are becoming. And your influence is influencing who they are becoming. Now that either scares us to death or encourages us because you look on and you say, man, the people that I hang with, I want to become more like them. Or you say, that scares me to death because if I become any more like them, I'm going to prison. Uh, and so you have that, 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 that thing that, that you're working out. But listen, the key is this, is that what leaders do is that they set an example. And so we have this opportunity. Are we going to lead people closer to God through our actions and through our influence? Or are we leading people further away? Here's what Mordecai does. He puts on the sackcloth. He puts on the ashes. He lets now Esther know what it is that's happening in the kingdom if, if she wasn't aware. And says, listen, this is the deal. We have to do something about this. And here's 
what's amazing. The story continues in verse 10. Check out what, what he says. It says, And then Esther spoke to, ha- to, to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. It says, All the king's servants and, all, and, and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. And so they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, please. Uh, We've noticed at first we said that you're a leader when you set an example. Number two is this. You're a leader when you take a risk. When you take a risk. You see, too many times what we're going to see here is that sometimes we start thinking like, "I, I could never really be a leader. I'm not really a leader, or we think that we aren't one because we think that leadership and perfection are the same thing. So, you know, that, that leadership is really about perfection. It's not. I mean, good night is it not about, about perfection. Instead, most leaders are not perfect people. Most leaders, here's what they do. They just simply say, um, God, I'm, I'm available if you, want to, if you want to do something with me. I mean, I, I was thinking about that just last week. Um, I was at a pastor's conference uh, last week, I, I took a couple of us went up, but um, I was rooming with Pastor Mark, which now I look back thinking that's probably a questionable decision um, in and of itself. But what happened is this, is that we we're kind of done with all the sessions for the evening and um, we go back to the room and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm laying on uh, my, my bed. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, bed, nightstand, other bed. So I'm laying there uh, and the, the nightstand is to the left of me. And so I'm just sitting there, re- I'm reading a book and... Um, and then Mark says something that he's going to do some work on his laptop. And I say, you know, all right, sure. And then, um, and so I'm sitting there reading the book, and then I hear, uh-oh. And I'm not really paying attention because I'm really, like, involved in this book that I'm reading. And he's like, uh, uh-oh, Bob, I need your help. And I said, well, what happened? And so apparently he thought that this, what was a great idea was to put his computer in the night, like, uh, you know, the main drawer. You know, there's, like, the two drawers, there's the one where the Gideon Bible is, and then there's, like, the other drawer underneath it where there's usually, like, the phone book, because everybody's using phone books um, these days. There's a other thing called the Internet. But anyway, people are using the phone book. So anyway, so he puts, uh, so he puts his computer in there, because nobody's going to think to open a drawer to see if there's a computer there. Um, so he has his computer there, so, and he goes to take his computer out, and his both fingers on both of his hands get caught in the, while he's pulling this, his, the, his, his computer out. So now he's both of his hands in there, and they're stuck. And that's why he's looking at me, and he's like, uh-oh, Bob, I need your help. And I'm reading a book, and I'm like, well, what? And he's like, uh, my, my fingers are stuck. And I'm like, are you trying to tell me that you got both of your hands stuck? And he's like, well, I tried to do it with one hand, and it got stuck, and so I tried to pull the other out, and then they, now they both got stuck. And he's like, you know, can you help me? And I'm like, hold on. And you're the one that we entrusted to train our youth? Am I getting this right? And he's like, can we have this conversation later? And I'm like, no, I have a captive audience. I'd like to have it right now. He's like, my fingers are turning purple. Can we, you know, 
So I take the book that I'm reading and I pry it open and he gets his computer out and his finger, you know, nine of the ten are attached. Um, so, yes, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm on call for the police and FBI if they need me for any other extractions, jaws of life, or anything else you might need. Um, but here's, here's the point. And I'm telling you, this is a, and it's a, you know what? If perfection were required for leadership, uh, none of us would be here, especially you, Mark. Um, you know, I, I told him that. That was the conversation we had after. But, you know, the truth is, is that perfection is not a requirement of leadership. Many times the people that are the greatest leaders are simply those who stepped up. And they said, there's a void here. I'd like to do something about it. I, I, God, I, I'd love to see God do something. And I don't want to simply let the opportunity pass me by. You see, let me tell you what, what a leader is. A leader is a dad who decides that his family, that they're going to have family devotions every week. That they say, you know, here's what we're going to do. Every week on this day at this time, we're going to spend some time reading God's word and talking about it. And you say, man, I'm not a Bible teacher, I'm not a scholar, but I, I think that we can at least read a Bible story, extract a principle from it, and, and at least be fed together as, as a family. A leader is somebody who says this, who says in their office, hey, I'm going to start a Bible study on our lunch break once a week for anybody who wants to come and maybe talk about things of more a spiritual nature, talk about the Bible, talk about God. And it's not a heavy thing or a pushy thing, but it's just something like, hey, if you want to do that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. A leader is someone who sees a new Christian and says, I want to see new Christians grow to maturity, and I'm willing to open my home to help new Christians and new believers uh, grow to maturity. You see, leadership is about engaging the opportunities that God has put before us and to be available to be used by God. You see, it's amazing that it's not that um, God isn't looking for extraordinary ability. God is looking for availability for people that are simply willing to say, hey, I'll, 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 how, how can I be part of God, what, what, what it is that, that you're doing? That's the thing that's so incredible and, and so amazing. You see, let me tell you what leadership is not. Like complaining is not leadership, whining is not leadership, blaming the government is not leadership, making excuses as to why we haven't done something is not leadership, seeing something wrong and saying the words of Isaiah who said, Lord, here am I, send me. Listen, that is leadership. And then asking God not so that we point out the problem so that we become part of the solution. The problem that we have in our world is that there's way too many critics and not enough leaders. I'm telling you, the Super Bowl is next week, and all of life can be boiled down to what's going to happen in that stadium next week. 22 people desperately in need of rest being watched by 50,000 people desperately in need of exercise. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the whole thing, you know. Uh, and, it's, you know and, and then what happens is, is that we're sitting there, and we start being, oh, you shouldn't have run that route. Oh, man, he overthrew it. You know, and it's like, can you run a 40-yard dash? You know, like, well... Uh, will paramedics be there, you know, after, uh, maybe, and, and, and listen, we just be, we think that now somehow spirituality and criticism go together. It's not. Listen, saying, saying that I love God and saying now that I, God, I want to be part of what you're doing. One of the greatest things that we can do is have a mindset that says, I want to see what God is doing and, and, and join him and what it is that he's doing. Enjoying him in what it is and being part of what it is that he's doing. Uh, the book of James chapter 1 says this. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Other words, otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror 
You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You see, Esther is hesitant to take the risk and go to the king. Why? Because the king has not invited her. And the king only has one rule about people coming in uninvited. If he doesn't extend the golden scepter, you're dead. It's as simple as that. And see, and here's what happens. And she tells Mordecai, she says, Mordecai, here's the problem. The king hasn't asked for me in a month. Now, let me kind of read between the lines and help you understand a little bit like what's happening in there culturally. You see, King Artaxerxes doesn't go to bed alone, ever. You see, there was a lot of women that were vying to be the queen. Esther won, but all these women were shipped off into the harem to be part, you know, to be his concubines and, you know, the women that were there to just, you know, please him physically. And so what happens is, is that Esther realizes that, you know, he hasn't called for me now in 30 days. And so maybe that means that I've fallen out of favor with him and he's taken a liking to some other or some others of the, of the women that are there. And so if I've fallen out of favor, for me to walk in unannounced is a death sentence for me. And so what she's trying to do is explain to Mordecai, like, this isn't an easy request because maybe he's taken a liking to someone else. And see, the thing that's amazing to me is that Mordecai is the one who's leading. Esther might have the position. Esther might have the power. But Mordecai is the one who has the influence. And he's using his influence to do this, to help Esther make the right decision. And how does he do it? I noted three things of how we use our influence in your, in your, in your notes. Here's the first one, is instruction. It's instruction. You see, the thing that he says is just because you're in the, in the palace, don't think that you're going to escape this like any of the other Jews. What is he doing? He's explaining to her, instructing her that she's got a wrong perspective of this whole situation. She's thinking, sure, I'm Jewish, but I can just I've got my position and I'm married to the king. No, no, no. The laws of the Medes and Persians can't be changed. And we're going to talk about that next time um, a little more in depth as to how their uh, political system works. And when things get set into law, they cannot be changed. So it doesn't matter if you're the queen or not. If you're Jewish, the law says that you're supposed to be killed on that day. So he's, in, he's using instruction to help influence her. The second thing he does, if you're taking notes, is involvement. He's letting her know that even if she doesn't do it, God's going to bring deliverance by some other means. And you know, that's true in every area of life. You know, it's not like if we don't do what God's asking us to do, the plan of God is going to fail. Um, I've, I've had this conversation with many people and they say, boy, what would Miami have been like if you didn't come and start Calvary? I, this is what I tell them. I say it'd probably be happening just the same. Because when my wife and I said yes to God to come here nine years ago to start this church, if we had said no, I can promise you this, God would have sent somebody else. Why? Because the plan of God has never been contingent on me. And the plan of God has never been contingent on us. God invites us to be part of what he's doing. But if we say no, guess what happens? God will find somebody else. That's why he says, you know what? Um, don't think that you're safe just because you're in the palace, Esther. But here's what I want, else I want you to know. That if you don't do this, relief and deliverance, they're going to come from somebody else. What is, he, what is he trying to tell her? 
that you're going to look back. You're going to miss this opportunity to be part of what God's doing. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, I wish I would have taken the risk. And that's what he says in number three in this. is It's not just instruction and involvement. Number three, it's inspiration. He encourages her to think that maybe God has allowed everything that's happened to lead up to this very moment. And he says, how do you know that perhaps you haven't been sent to the kingdom, to the palace for such a time as this? You see, could it be that this is the moment that she was created for? And if she misses it, she will regret it for the rest of her life. But if she acts, this will be the crown jewel of her life. This will be the thing that she was remembered by and the thing that will last long after she's passed from this life into the next. And the thing that's amazing to me is that Esther is being the leader, even though, pardon me, Mordecai is being the leader, even though Esther has the position. Because here's the thing that you and I have to understand is that leadership is about influence. It's not about position. It's not about title. It is about influence. And what Mordecai is doing is exercising that influence to help Esther make the right decision. Because you don't have to be a preacher to be used by God. You don't. In fact, if you read through the Bible, God doesn't call pastors and preachers necessarily exclusively to be part of God's plan. In the Bible, there were people that had essentially no position or no, like, quote-unquote, religious position. You think about Joseph in the Old Testament. You know what he was? He was a manager and administrator. And God saved an entire nation and brought his family back together simply because he was willing to be part of what God was doing. Nehemiah, who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, you know what he was? He was the cupbearer to the king, and he became a contractor for Jesus. Amos, the prophet, you know what he was before he was a prophet? It says this, he was a fig picker. He picked figs. You know what that means? He was just a guy that was, he was just manual labor. That's what he did. The disciples, they were fishermen. That's it. And honestly, not even really that good. Because every time Jesus meets up with them, it says, hey, how's it going? Yeah, we haven't caught anything. So it's like, they weren't even good fishermen. They were like starving fishermen. And yet he calls them. And what it shows us is that God is willing to use us regardless of position. He uses us based on our willingness to be available to him. And that's why sometimes what will happen is this, that we'll hear a message like this and we'll say, man, that sounds really good, but I am really busy to be used by God. And then here's what will happen is that we'll, life will go by and we'll have this opportunity to serve, to make a difference, to influence and we'll let it pass, and God will use somebody else. Because it's not like the plan of God is contingent on us. God will use somebody else, and we'll look back and we'll say, I wish that had been me. You know, um, in three weeks we're starting this new campus in Miramar. And the thing that's amazing about that is that it creates opportunities for all of us to be involved. On the back of your connection card, you'll see that it says, the one you filled out earlier, on the back of it will say, my next step is, and you can begin serving here at Calvary. The other thing that it says is join uh, the, the Miramar launch team. And the thing is, this, the Miramar launch team is not just about, hey, I just want to attend up there. You're welcome to do that. But instead, if you want to serve here or you want to be part of the launch team up there, it's really about serving and not just saying, hey, I want to come and receive what's happening. But instead, I want to participate in what it is that's going on. Because the best thing that we can do is heed the words of Mordecai who says to get involved in what God is already doing and start serving in some capacity. Because how do you know that everything in your life hasn't led you to such a time as this to say, you know, maybe I can use the gifts, talents and abilities that God has given me for the sake of making a difference in another person's life. Well, here's Esther's response in verse 15. 
It says this, this, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat in his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. And so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther went near and touched the top of the the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. And so Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. And the king said, Bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. And so the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. And then Esther answered and said, My position, my petition, and my, and my request is this, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, and let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has asked. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third point, and that is this. You're, you're a leader, number one, if uh, you're a leader when you set an example. You're a leader when you take risks. Number three is you're a leader when you use your influence. When you use your influence, not just when you say you have influence, but when you leverage that influence for the purpose of good. Because all of us have influence. It's, it's simply a matter of if we're going to use it or not. Uh, on Friday, Friday is a day off for me, but I was uh, sitting at, our, at my kitchen table. And um, I was actually working on this talk that I'm giving to you now. And what happened was is that uh, I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and it's, uh, we're, we're, we're sitting there. And it's a little, little early, but um, my, my daughter's up, and so I just put something on TV for her to watch while I'm working on this. And so she comes into the kitchen from the living room, and she says, Papi, and I said, yes, Mia. She says, um, I want to make a snow angel. And I said, well, Mia, right now we're a little low on snow. But if it snows, you'll be the first to know. Okay. She goes back to her room, uh, back to the living room. And then she comes back and she says, "Uh, Papi, I said, yes, Mia. She says, I want hot chocolate. And I said, well, maybe later today, you know, you haven't even eaten breakfast. Let's have breakfast. Let's have lunch. Then we'll we'll talk hot chocolate. Okay, Papi. She goes back. A few minutes later, she comes back. She says, Papi, I want to get married. And I'm like, what? You know, now that I put everything down, like, now you've got my attention. And, uh, and I'm like, what in the world is going on in that living room? So I go into the living room and see what I put on for her. And I rewind it. And here's what it is. Let me show you this. Uh, this right here, this is, if you're not familiar, I, let me introduce you to Little Bear. Little Bear. Let me tell you something about Little Bear. Let me tell you what's up with Little Bear. Little Bear is my daughter's favorite show. I mean, Disney doesn't have a, can't hold a candle, none of the other shows, nothing. 
Little Bear is it. Little Bear is her favorite show. If you ask her to watch anything uh, or Little Bear, the answer is Little Bear. So I watched, and I had turned on Little Bear for her, so I rewinded it. It's a half-hour show, and it's like these three little eight-minute segments, right? And here's what I found. The first one is about how it was snowing. And Little Bear and his friends went and made a snow angel. And then, and then the second episode was about how it was a cold night, and Mother Bear made Little Bear some hot chocolate. And then the third episode was about Little Bear and his friend Emily and how they were talking about someday getting married. And, and then I'm realizing, like, first of all, I've got to make this. This girl cannot watch TV anymore. Uh, and secondly, I realized the influence of Little Bear in my daughter's life. And this is the thing that's amazing to me. And this is, this is what's important for you and me. In somebody's life, guess what? You are Little Bear. Yes, there, in somebody's life, you have, like, this incredible amount of influence that just them, you mentioning hot chocolate and now they're thirsty. You mention a snow angel and they want to fly into a blizzard, you know, uh, right? You know, you say, let's get married and let's go, you know. Uh, maybe don't do that. But, um, but here's the thing. You have this amazing influence, right? And the question is, what are we going to do with it? And the question to ask is, why has God given you that position of influence in the first place? It's not to create ease and comfort for ourselves, but it's to leverage that influence and give a voice to those who have no voice and to help those that we have influence with to make the right choices and to follow God more closely. What Esther finally realizes is this very thing, and this is the moment that changes her life, and this is the moment that changes all of history when she decides that I haven't been given this title and position and influence for me. I've been given, it, I've been given this title, position, influence for others. And she agrees then to help her people. She walks in to see the king at the risk of her life, and the king extends the scepter. And what does she do? She, as she builds up the courage, she goes to the king. Here's the scepter. She touches the scepter. She says, what can I do for you, Queen Esther? And she says, I want to invite you to a party. And it's like, what? All of this buildup to invite the king and Haman, the villain, to a party? Why is that? She should have made her demands right then, right? Well, remember, we're not talking about making demands. We're talking about influence. Influence doesn't make demands. Influence is a lot more subtle than that, and that's why it has such a, a much greater impact. You see what we, you know, who, who knows this? Listen, um, wives know this probably better than anyone. Because according to the scriptures, while God has given men leadership and responsibility in the home, God has given to women the gift of influence. And that's why, guys, you are accountable to God, but understand that this woman that God has given to you, this, this, this wife that you have, she's the one that has influence in your family. She's influencing the decisions that you make. She's influencing the kind of life that you're going to live. Guys, if you're single, do you understand why it's so important to pick well? Because the person that you're going to marry is going to influence the decisions that you make and the kind of life that you're going to live. But listen to how Peter puts it in First uh, Peter chapter 3. He says, in the same way that you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, that's leadership, uh, then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. You ever think about that? I, I find that passage so amazing, and here's why. Because the Bible says this about the influence that wives have. It says this, that wives have the ability to influence their husbands to begin taking steps towards walking with God 
without one word. I mean, think about the people in your life that you have the ability to influence without saying a word to. That's, that's an amazing power. That's an amazing privilege. That's an amazing responsibility to steward. And yet here's what God says, that wives have the ability to influence their husbands in such a way, to such an extreme, that even those that have no interest in walking with God, simply by their example and influence, that they will be able to make steps and start walking with God. Why? Because of the influence of their wives. Because God has given to all of us a measure of influence and a measure of leadership, whether that's in your home, in your workplace, whether that's in our relationships. We're all influencers. The question is, how will we influence people? Esther is using her influence because she has to tell the most powerful man in the world at that time that he's been tricked. That the decision that he made to turn into law the ability to destroy the Jews was actually wrong. And how do you explain that to the guy that if you walk in and he doesn't want you, all he has to do is not show the scepter and now you're dead? Well, what she realizes is that it takes the power of influence to be able to do that. Here's how that pans out for you and me. How it pans out for you and me is that like in your workplace with your boss, um, if, you're, if you want to help him you know, see things change, the way to do it is influence. Because yelling doesn't do it, demanding doesn't do it, a bad attitude doesn't do it. With your spouse, the same thing is true. If you say, man, I'm problems with my husband, problems with my wife. Listen, it, the change happens, the only way change happens is through influence. When we set a good example and lead through our actions. With kids, when they get older, listen, we lead through influence. More so than rules, more so than guidelines, more so than the demands that we make. We influence them through our example through our commitment to God and by putting them and leading them into godly environments where they can grow. In fact, you know what the Bible says? The Bible talks about in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Another translation says it this way. It says, the result, instead of the fruit, it says the result of being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? The fruit of the Spirit, here's what the other translation says, it says the Result of being influenced by the Holy Spirit in your life is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Amazing. How, how, how is that? Why? Because God isn't forcing, making demands and said, here's what he does. He invites us. He invites us to draw close to him. And when we do, everything that we desired in our life, when you think about love, joy, peace, patience, nobody goes to that list and says, who needs more love? Who needs more joy? Who needs more peace? I don't need that. You know, uh, no, nobody says that. Everybody says, no, those are the very things that I want more of in my life. And here's, what that, here's how that comes. That comes by, by way of us being influenced by the Spirit of God, by God's Spirit working in us. And listen, my friends, if you're here this morning and you say, that's, that's what I've wanted that's what I want. That's my, that's my desire. You say, I, I, I don't have peace. I don't have joy. I don't have a lot of love in, in my life. I don't see the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness and self-control. I don't see that in, in my life. Well, the reason is, perhaps, is because you've never made a decision and invited Jesus to come into your life. And can I just encourage you that maybe God has brought you to this place for such a time as this. 
Maybe you got a phone call from a friend this week and he said, hey, why don't you come to church? I know I've invited you a couple times, but you really should come this week. And you're, now you're here and you're like, man, now I know. Is that God has been calling me and calling me and calling me and inviting me to be part of something for such a time as this for me to hear this message and for me to respond. Because listen, when the time was right, the Bible says that Jesus came into this world. He died a horrific death on the cross. Why? Because you and I, all of us, have fallen short of God's standard. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We've all made bad decisions. And here's what Jesus says. He hangs on a cross. He dies for us. And he he says, I've covered it. And now the responsibility that we have is to receive that gift. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I need to receive that gift. I want to see the Spirit of God work in my life. And here's what I want to do. We're going to pray together, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The prayer is not a magic formula. The prayer might simply be my words, but I pray that they express your heart to God. And here's what I know, is that a prayer prayed in sincerity, God will hear, act, and begin to work. So let's pray together. God, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity that we have. And God, I want to particularly thank you for the influence that you've given to us. Not for ourselves, but instead for the purpose of helping and leading others into a relationship with you. And God, for those here that want to begin a relationship with you, recognizing that God, you died for them as you died for all of us. But now opening their heart and receiving the free gift that you have for them. God, they want to make this decision now. Listen, those of you that want to make this decision, I'm going to ask that you repeat this prayer out loud. Just say, Dear God, I open my heart and I invite you in. I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to follow you starting now. In Jesus' name, amen.